So first, I want to just um, acknowledge uh, this solstice, and I realize how important it is to me uh, in my um, in my personal. You know, uh, it's very interesting to me. I don't know how the math works on this, but uh, these uh, kind of solar moments. Uh, but I have uh, two children and uh, my second grandchild. One is uh, on probably conceived about now and uh, born on uh, March, what that would be, no, that was Pema, so that would be on, um, on September the 21st. At least it's easy. I think they did this just so I could remember. And then uh, the other one is born on the spring equinox, which is March the 21st. And then I have uh, my second grandchild, who was born in Bali, right close to the equator in Indonesia, uh, <laughs> on June the 21st. So doesn't that make it easy, you know? So, But it's important uh, to me. I don't have any born at this time, so this is the birth you know so in my uh, usual fashion is uh i wrote you something today that's going to kind of help me uh navigate uh the talk tonight and i always like to write a poem to sort of uh bring all of it into a means that i can use so this is what you get Solstice, taking this one seat. When the sun and the earth stand still, when the sun and the earth stand still, the the darkness has found its still point, the light its birth. The darkness has found its still point, the light its birth. Gently sitting in the center, anchoring one's attention, repeatedly over and over again, saying, this is my place, this is my place. Yet, these furious enchantments, tempting us over and over again to venture down the covered alleyways of our minds, stories piled upon stories. There is no relief venturing away from this seat. Tell me again, why is it so important to stay in this one seat? Like the great yogis of old, sitting in the silence of one seat, They broke the bonds of the storyteller. Freeing themselves and inhabiting the sheer gift and gratitude of time. Freedom can only happen in this single simple seat. Freedom can only happen in this simple single seat. So uh, tonight, um, I just want to take adventure with you. You know, it's, uh, this practice uh, certainly is not an easy thing to 
undertake or stay with, you know. And yet for um, generations and generations, uh, people have come and, uh, you know, encouraged themselves uh, to have the patience and the consistency to keep returning to this one seat. So the way I'd like to kind of frame this tonight is through lineage. And uh, the lineage really starts um, in the Thai forest tradition, uh, which this particular place is part of that lineage. And uh, that lineage uh, starts back first, and I just uh, want to use this quote, which is uh, kind of, to me, the heart of um, one of the great mystics. And sometimes people don't see this so much as a mystical uh, tradition, but it is actually steeped in great uh, mysticism. And it really comes out in the northern teak forests of Thailand uh, back in the 1870s and 90s and 1900. Uh, and there was a, a great uh, wanderer uh, named Ajahn Moon. And um, many, many tales of this man uh, adventuring uh, staying one place for a few days and moving on from another place. And in those years, of course, they hadn't uh, cut down so much of the teak forest, which uh, has happened over these years. And uh, so it was a simple life from caves to uh, forest dwellings. Uh, but one of the things was you couldn't find him. You know, he was always moving continuously. Uh, up until the last years uh, of his life. And even uh, the lineage that came out of it, uh, Anatola and uh, Ajahn Mahabua and Ajahn Cha, uh, those were his uh, kind of, uh, some of his, some of his uh, disciples that uh, carried this uh, lineage on. So I'd like to, there's a, down in the gratitude hut, there's a quote from him down there. And it goes like this. And it's actually a very important piece. In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine its nature. See the elements that comprise it. See the impermanence, the suffering, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of the mind can shine forth. In this way, the purity of the mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. No. And it's really so much the foundation here of... Uh, what we do and how this practice works, you know. So there is the simplicity of this practice, but there's also, in the sense, particularly in the Thai forest tradition, uh, the what the mechanics of this practice and the kind of pragmatic um, 
use of uh, mindfulness awareness uh, that is kind of the foundation here. But also there's more to it. You know, you can't just hold it in such a simple thing. And I'm going to quote here from, uh, this is, as I said, there were uh, three kind of main teachers that we know. And uh, Ajahn Mahabua was one of them, and he actually wrote the um, biography of Ajahn Moon uh, as a, really a, a mystical uh, yogi um, who, what, um, you know, in the Thai belief system, uh, he taught in the hell realms and the heaven realms and, uh, you know, and human beings, you know. So this is a quote from Ajahn Mahabua. Whatever arises has to vanish. Whatever arises has to vanish. Whatever is true, whatever is a natural principle in of itself won't vanish. In other words, the pure mind won't vanish. Everything of every sort may vanish, but that which knows they're vanishing doesn't vanish. This vanishing, that vanishing, but the one which knows they're vanishing doesn't vanish. Whether or not we try to leave it untouched, it keeps on knowing. The mind blankets everything. You know, so this is really the principles of this. Somehow, uh, as a tradition, uh, it's pretty simple. You know, uh, we come, we sit, we shut up. Uh, We wait and wait, and we let things settle. And certainly there's there's the use of the breath. There's the truth of uh, of, uh, our kind of studying how uh, we experience our bodies, how we experience uh, our liking and disliking through pleasantness and unpleasantness, you know, or non-unpleasantness or non-unpleasantness. And we notice this continually traveling uh, on the thousand stories uh, that from the past or our anticipation of the future and the practice is much is so simple, you know. It just says, "Can you just stay here? Can you sit in this one seat?" You know. So, a way to frame this uh, as a principal practice uh, has to do with uh, some of the things I'll read from Ajahn Chah. And, um, and then I'll kind of elaborate on it. Just go into the room and put one chair in the center. Take the seat at the center of the room, open the doors in the windows, and see who comes to visit. You got this? I think you really know about this now. You will witness all kinds of scenes and actors, all kinds of temptations and stories, everything imaginable. Your only job is to stay in your seat. You will see it all arise and pass, that vanishing. 
And out of this, wisdom and understanding will come. So, you know, I was thinking, you know, I've been at this, I've headed towards 50 years. And uh, I've been a, what, a novice monk in the Tibetan tradition, a, a full monk in the Hindu tradition, a, a full monk in the Theravadan tradition, you know. And I've learned all these different methods, you know. But ultimately, you know, they can be helpful, all methods. Uh, but ultimately, this practice of, you know, it's not... It's, in, it's not actually in doing anything. It's just staying, you know, and finding that um, it's not complicated, you know. Uh, but the complexity here is we keep getting lost, you know. Uh, the description here that Ajahn Chah gives, which I will kind of define in some ways, uh, is putting a chair in the center of a room. And uh, the... We have our five senses, and it's it's a little complicated because our, all of our senses are up in our head, you know, except for the physical sensations, you know. So we have seeing, and we have hearing, and we're smelling, and tasting, uh, and body sensations, and thoughts, and so those five senses are uh, the as is described by Ajahn Chah as the like five windows, you know, and then. Uh, there is the door, the mind door, which happens to be hinged going both directions, by the way. Uh, you know, it just is that way, you know. And uh, what happens is, is we make the decision, okay, I'm going to stay in my seat. Now, what happens is that all the sense doors is that um, there's this amazing amount of jugglers and clowns and and uh, storytelling and pictures and uh, all this comes uh, through the senses, you know, or the mind door. And in some ways, it just comes to enchant us, you know, and say, oh, follow me. I know where I'm going. <laughs> right. And you forget and then you leave your seat and you go running out into the forest way, way out, you know. But a description in the text is, uh, this is very much like a little bird on a ship way out at sea. And that bird has no place to land, like our thoughts, like our sensations. And so uh, the bird gets out there and it has to come back. It has nowhere to go. And if you've noticed, your thoughts have nowhere to go. Nor do they land anywhere but back here. You know, and we get enchanted and entranced and, and, you know, we believe our stories. You know, it's amazing um, just how it is, you know. And they're quite complex and, um, you know, it's so funny about the past that somehow there's some belief in the kind of construction of that door that swings both ways that we can actually change it somehow. But you can't change your past, you know. You know, you can be different towards it, but you can't change it, you know. In the same way, you cannot know. You cannot know the future, you know. I love this from, this is from Agnes uh, DeMille. 
Living is a form of not being sure, not knowing what's next or how. The moment you know how, you begin to die a little. We guess you may be wrong, but we take leap after leap in the dark. You know, it's really all we're doing, you know. And yet the practice uh, in its fundamentals is our capacity first to know the sense doors. There is something that knows in the center there. You know, and there's something that you know right now, and you can only know it in the now, that's actually aware and awake. And it's not tinged by the sense doors, it's not tinged by the thoughts. You know, it's simply, uh, in the Thai, it was there with the knowing. You know, and you know what I'm talking about. There's something that knows. And you actually have never been separated from it. You know, it's been with you all along. And it's never been a problem, you know. And yet, you know, it's true that, um, you know, both uh, Donald and Heather talked about the the uh, hindrances, you know, of, of as soon as there's you're sitting in that seat and there's a sense of wanting, you know. And as soon, one thing, you know, pleasantness is fine. I'm so glad you all, it, we live in the West, you know, and I spend a lot of time in Asia and um, it's more a little more difficult. But here it's, you know, whether it's temperature or whether it's food, all this stuff, it's, it's very easy here in so many ways, you know. And yet, wanting. And wanting is not about the pleasantness. It's actually that somehow I'm going to get something, I'm going to hold it, I'm going to capture it, I'm going to imprison it, I'm going to repeat it. Uh, there's something about it's not enough right now. You know, and so we lean out towards that and we grasp on it. Or, you know, there's its opposite, you know. Oh, I don't like that. That feels bad. I don't, you know, I want to get rid of that. So then there's resistance. And then we create a whole, you know, sometimes whole mythologies and things about uh, judgments and um, all sorts of stories. Uh, about simply unpleasant experience that arises at one of these sense doors or the mind. You know? And as soon as we get caught by that, we're out of the seat. You know? And of course, uh, in the practice itself, uh, there is the simplicity of, uh, you know, uh, sometimes you sit there minding your own business and the next thing you know, off you go, uh, you know, and that uh, clarity of mind is gone. And there is this fogginess, and that fogginess uh, then, um, you know, it, it disintegrates sometimes uh, into uh, a deeper uh, kind of not knowing or sleep, you know. And it's just being aware, you know, and we can kind of open our eyes and try to take a few deep breaths and stay kind of conscious sometimes. Uh, it's very helpful. Uh, but when that happens, we're really not in the seat anymore. You know. In the same way, unfortunately, there's also the opposite of that, just like pleasantness or unpleasantness, which comes and kind of grabs us, you know, and it's a thing called restlessness. 
you know, and I hope you don't experience this, but I know that part of the practice is that it comes uh, and it shakes up everything. You know, sometimes it's like ants crawling on you or something, you know, and you just want to get out of here and get away from it. But there's lots of things you want to get out of here and get away from. But anyway, you know, uh, the truth is uh, our capacity to just give ourselves permission. It is part of the vanishing. It has the nature to arise, like Mahabua says, and it will pass away. You know, and our practice is just, it is actually a teacher of patience. You know. And then, kind of the last of these is doubt. You know, and doubt a lot of times is, uh, you know, well, why should I stay in my seat? You know, my stories are much more interesting. You know, have you noticed that? You know, and you run off, but unfortunately, they don't go anywhere. You know, part of the deal here here is that we've kind of, this is kind of a cauldron, a community cauldron. Uh, In that cauldron, uh, nothing is going on here. Okay, nothing's going on, you know? And yet, you know, a lot goes on. But not in the physical world, you know? And that our practice is just this simple truth that, oh, can I see that, uh, uh, you know, I'm more than uh, my, sometimes uh, my mistrust or, um, you know, doubting that I have the capacity to actually be one who is awake. So to stay in that seat, to actually say, okay, I can do this. I know that these, sometimes these difficulties or hindrances are going to come. They're just simply visitors that come and they hang out for a while. You know. And they are part of the vanishing you know, they arise, they're there for a while, and they pass away. That's their nature. From the Venerable again, Ajahn Chah. As I see it, the mind is like a single point, the center of the universe. And the mental states are like visitors who come and stay at this point for short or long periods of time. Get to know these visitors well. Become familiar with the vivid pictures they paint, the alluring stories they tell to entice you to follow them. But do not give up your seat. It is the only chair around. If you, This is what's cool. If you continue to occupy it unceasingly, greeting each guest as it comes, firmly establishing yourself in awareness, transforming your mind into the one who knows, the one who is awake. The visitors will eventually stop coming back. This is kind of cool. They will stop coming back. If you give them real attention, how many times can these visitors return? Speak with them here and you will know every one of them well. Then your mind will at last be at peace. You know. 
So the encouragement here, you know, it's not about some special practice. It's the actually getting to uh, take a stance uh, in the complexity of your life and realize that somehow, uh, first of all, that uh, if you simply uh, stay, uh, that the stories, the emotions, uh, that they, it's kind of like muddy, a muddy pond, you know? And part of the objective here is that uh, the practice is very simple to me. It's not doing anything with the muddy water. It is simply not putting a stick in the water and stirring the thing up because that's what we do, you know. And the discipline here is just simply to hold the stick out of the water and let the sediment settle, you know. And I know it's not easy because, uh, you know, there's so many, you know, uh, mixes between the storyline and the uh, and the emotions and memory um, and fantasy and and um, uh, different uh, difficulties in the physical body, all of this. Yes, it's that's all true. But it's all part of the vanishing. It arises, is there for a while, and it passes away. And if you can stay those. Particles will settle. Sometimes it's not fast. But uh, the guarantee from here is it will settle. And it does settle. You know. And it's true sometimes, uh, unfortunately, when it, in the settling process, um, there's sometimes uh, kind of deep down in the mud puddle, there's a few sticks that are there that have been there a long, long time. And as things begin to settle, they dislodge and kind of uh, stir up the water, you know. But then it's why they simply say, this is a purification process. It's to untangle the tangles, you know. And you have to have the patience and sometimes confidence from friends or teachers that uh, encourage you to stay, you know. And then at some point, the mind begins to see that the mind itself, you know, that one kind of turns around and sees, oh, I kind of see how this thing works, you know? And I see that there's also a knowing uh, that has been there that's unhindered, you know, is more uh, than the vanishing, more than the sense doors and more than the changing or more than the this constant, you know, it's, it's not like we're stopping thinking here. We're just simply not being bothered by the stream of thoughts. You know, we're not hooking into it. We're just kind of letting them go, you know. And there's a way that we sit in the center of the room, in the center of our own awareness or consciousness, you know. And we're just not bothered. And ultimately, you know, when the, we begin to recognize, and this is always uh, a little tricky because uh, the early translators, I think there's uh, such a complexity here in some of the languaging. And the word chitta, which uh, translates 
uh, from its early texts as mind. You know. But I remember one of my uh, first teachers, and uh, you know, I, I went to Asia in the kind of late sixties, and his name was Lama Dupnyeshi, and he used to always take and he would point at his heart and say, "My mind." You know, and you will see this if you meet different Tibetans. They always go, oh, my mind. You know. Think about it. You know. So we train our minds, our brains, actually, uh, to uh, drop down into the heart. You know. And in this particular practice, uh, it's fundamental why... uh, Ajahn Moon talks about that don't abandon the body. It, this is it. You ask for it. You, know, you got one. You know, I know it's a rent-a-body and it's a temporary vanishing process. You know, but it also, you know, has this uh, capacity to be absolutely awake. You know, uh, it is your birthright, it is your heritage to know that when we're not entranced and we're not enchanted by the sense doors or uh, the stream of thoughts or memories uh, or emotions that kind of, um, you know, that are always kind of changing, that there is a place uh, that when we sit and we have to stay for a while, you have to stay for a while that there is a sense of relaxing and it's only through the relaxing, only through simply uh, letting ourselves uh, be in our bodies. Know that there's no other place but here in present time. And that there is something that is knowing. You know, uh, And that knowing, uh, it's not some special kind of freedom, by the way. It's actually quite ordinary, you know. But its nature is peace, you know. We're funny creatures, you know. I always use this example. It's kind of, I've probably overused it over the past 20-some years. Uh, but I, can't, I haven't figured another one out yet. And, you know, and it's simply how to describe experience of what I'm talking about here. Is there's this pendulum that swings, you know, and this pendulum swings back and forth. And on one side, one to ten. And that's called pleasant. Pleasant sensation. And we use all of our uh, controls, and this is kind of the relative world, uh, to try to uh, keep that and capture that and get the most out. You, you want it up around seven, by the way. You know, and then the other side is uh, negative, you know, and it's unpleasant. And it's one to ten. And you want to keep it at maybe a quarter. You know, that's it, you know? And so you use all your energetics for the struggle of trying to stay up on one side and stay away from the other. And you can call this a struggle, right? And But what's happening is we're always passing a center point, you know? And that center point is exactly what the Buddha was pointing at. He was not pointing at how to deal with this. Uh, it's instinctual, the pleasant and the unpleasant, and habitual and very primal. And yet he was saying, oh, wait, you're looking in the wrong place. You know, 
You're looking for happiness in the pleasantness and the keeping away of the unpleasant. He said, oh no, there's a zero point. And that zero point, uh, he simply used the word peace or nibbana or nirvana. You know, that that was actually uh, an inherent quality uh, in the process itself. But it has to be pointed to. It's not something... Uh, because we are so good at the struggle, and some of us are really good at the control mechanisms, you know, and the fierceness uh, that it takes to kind of maintain and hold it all together. And this is, okay, you can fall apart. It's okay. You're not going to win the pleasant game or the unpleasant game, you know. You can fall apart. It's fine, you know. And sometimes I think you have to fall apart. I know for me, in this process of practice, uh, last summer I was doing a self-retreat in Ladakh, and, and, uh, which is, you know, it's up about 12,000 feet in uh, the other side of the Himalayas on the Tibetan plateau where I like to go. And um, I thought, oh, well, you know, I was all ready to have this wonderful retreat. And I, I went and did a wonderful uh, trek of getting ready f- to do this uh, in May, I'm doing uh, the great pilgrimage to Mount Kailash. The kind of the, it's kind of the center of the world, you know, uh, from five religions and goes back to say ten thousand years, you know, and all the rivers of Asia come out of it's a plateau of fifteen thousand five hundred feet, and all the rivers come out of it, you know. And I saw uh, what was a National Geographic where they took the Google map and showed all the, you know. Uh, fingers that went out, you know, it's quite, quite remarkable, you know, the original mandala, you know, uh, and so I thought, oh, I better, uh, I went in 2008 and I had a uh, bad, uh, up at high altitude sometimes if you have bad teeth or have bad, had a bad tooth and so it abscessed and it was, made a difficult journey for me and, um, so I had to go test out this summer, you know. So I walked and walked and walked, and I, 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 I did this uh, Marka Valley trek. It was wonderful, and I made it up to about 17,000. It snowed, and I was fine, you know. I came down, and I thought, okay, now I'm all, I've walked out all the west, which is one of the things I've done, by the way, for over 40 years. You know, as I've trekked before, I've retreated a lot of times. So I did my trek, and uh, I got back to Lay, and then I went to the monastery where I was going to sit. And, and uh, I had forgotten uh, my uh, cholesterol, you know, old guy, cholesterol medi- uh, medicine in the West. So I went and got, a, you know, some alternative in the Indian uh, store and... and um, I'd been taking it for, I don't know, three weeks or a month, and uh, I started retreat. And I started to have these muscle pains. And I thought, oh my gosh, my hip's going out. Then my elbow was going out. Then my knee was going out. And it was like I was sitting there, and pretty soon I couldn't sit like this anymore. I had to sit in the chair, you know? And it was really quite remarkable experience in the sense of what I expected of myself and what I had, you know? And actually, I suffered quite a bit, you know, because I 
there was no doctor I could go ask the question. I figured I better keep taking this stuff. I don't want to have a stroke. So, you know, I'll just do it. But um, it just got more painful and painful. And I'm kind of warrior type, you know, so I'd go out. And five o'clock, I'd take my walk, which hurt terribly, you know. But, you know, in the end, uh, it didn't get any better. And actually, it probably got worse. And um, I came back and got it all straightened out. It went off of it and stuff. And I thought, well, that was a waste of time. You know? <laughs> I had to sit in the chair and, you know, and uh, I, I fidgeted. And, and then I would go out, you know, and I was thinking, here's this great, you know, great meditator, right? And I couldn't sit still. I couldn't. I, my mind was all over the place, you know, and I came back and I realized, you know, and I also understood, you know, there was something I very much understood in it, you know, uh, but uh, the body was not cooperating, you know, and I came back and I realized, oh, John, this is all about your heart, you know, and I didn't ask for this, but this was uh, what I needed at the time was somehow there was a hardening and I, just to soften my heart, you know? And I think sometimes, again, this, uh, what Mahabua was talking about, that there is this knowing that's there. And that knowing, if you're willing to listen and hang out in this, uh, it will teach you. Uh, it will bring you to your knees, you know, or your butt anyway. And um, it will also, uh, there is something that's working and it's not something I can put, put my finger on or tell you I know or anything. It's simply that uh, there's kind of a mysterious process here and it has to do with our ability to stay in the seat, but not just stay in the seat. Uh, there's a capacity. This is all about listening, about listening to levels, to deeper and deeper. You know, uh, we, we're so caught up in the thinking process in the West, you know, but what we're talking about here is if you stay in your seat, it's about when the mind begins to inhabit, inhabit the body. And if the mind inhabits the body, then it actually, uh, the mind uh, becomes aware of the heart. And so then there is actually a wholeness. You could just use that word, a wholeness, that is available to you, you know. And it is only about listening, you know. It is, uh, we use sometimes the word in intuition, intuitive, or, or gut, you know, a gut feeling. And this is really, in a way, learning to kind of connect and trust that there is a knowing that you have, that you're not, you can't outthink any of this stuff. You know, thinking is good for some things. But when you're talking in this world, no, it's actually not thinking. Uh, it's actually beginning to, to recognize the difference uh, between the content of our knowing and experience and this process. You know, and when we begin to see it more and more as process, uh, then you know, um, we can see it in as, as a bigger picture, not so lost in the sometimes the mirrored details of discomfort or whatever, but that there is something bigger going on here, you know. 
you know, I think we're something with these sense doors in mind where we, we make ourselves very small, you know? And by making ourselves small, um, you know, we, we can function uh, properly. Everyone here is pretty good at that, probably. Uh, but there's also uh, some way that uh, we can kind of sit and allow, if we can stay long enough in that seat, to begin to actually open to the fact that uh, this is a mysterious place. You know, it is not what it appears to be, by the way. You know, and never has been. And only through our, um, sometimes I think just our fear and our control and our contraction that we make it so small. And it's kind of our, really this kind of, you know, I love this word, you know, uh, I just read about it recently, this thing, selfing. I didn't know what selfing was, you know. And uh, I thought, oh, wow, what a miracle. Here we are going around selfing with these, you know, iPhones and selfie. Selfie, selfie. <laughs> you see, you know, you know. I selfing, okay, selfie, you know. I won't make it into the Webster's Dictionary, but that's okay, you know. <laughs> You know, but we have to somehow, you know, there's a (laughs) process of dissolving all this, you know, and, um, you know, I don't know. Um, There's a mundane world you live in. And all this is based on that the Buddha simply called the super mundane uh, something uh, that's happening that's way beyond our capacity uh, to cognize it uh, with a mind. You know. And so we train. We train to stay. We train to actually uh, have some uh, wisdom with the mind and discipline uh, and its purpose. Its purpose is to uh, bring the mind into the heart. You know, and that it uh, knows the body, it knows this experience. Uh, and it's no longer caught in itself. It suddenly realizes it's gone beyond the confines of its smallness. And then it has a capacity, is a capacity to see and touch others in a totally different way. So I think that's pretty good, you know. Stay awake. You know, this is a big chance. You know. Solstice. Taking this one seat when the sun and the earth stand still when the sun and the earth stand still. The darkness has found its still point. The light, its birth. Gently sitting in the center, anchoring one's attention, repeating it over and over, 
This is my place. This is my place. Yet these furious enchantments, tempting us over and over again to venture down the covered alleyways of our minds. Stories piled upon stories. There is no relief venturing away from this seat. Tell me again, why is it so important to stay in this one seat? Like the great yogis of old, sitting in the silence of the one seat, they broke the bonds of the storyteller. freeing themselves and inhabiting the sheer gift and gratitude of time. Freedom can only happen in this single, simple seat. Let's just sit for a moment. Be freedom. <laughs> 